Hi everyone, this is Matt, the producer of the Investor Mindset Podcast, and we're back again this week with another episode in the Best Of series. We're taking a look back at the interview we did with Brian Burke. We take a deep dive into how to become a super successful hands-off investor, and Brian provides some fantastic free advice on how to set yourself up for success avoid those common passive pitfalls and how to work with amazing partners that are going to get you the returns you truly deserve. So let's jump into it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com invest. Join me on that next deal. and I look forward to seeing you on the inside. What events or influences from your childhood specifically shaped who you are today? Jeez, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, the, the biggest thing for me was, you know, when I was a kid, I was kind of thrust into a position where I had to grow up really fast. And uh, that caused me, it's funny, I was always hanging out with people about 10 or 15 years older than I was. Uh, and then I ended up, when I started investing in real estate, I was 20 years old and, you know, there were no other 20 year olds doing that. <laughs> Yeah, that's huge. I mean, being surrounded uh, by all these successful investors that are a lot older, they're all probably looking at you thinking, man, I wish I got started when I was that young. I know, right? And the thing was, is that, you know, at that time, I didn't know anybody that was successful. So they were probably looking at me like thinking like, you know, who is this kid trying to get into this business? Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, what did you end up learning from that? I mean, well, why did you feel comfortable going into real estate at such a young age when there wasn't a lot of peers in it, you know, rather than just going the traditional route? You know, I, I read a book that said that uh, you could become wealthy in real estate and you could buy uh, real estate with no money down. Just simply ask the seller if they'll carry the down payment. And I thought, well, that's easy enough. I was too dumb to know that that actually is really hard to do and that not everybody says yes. But, you know, I found this house and I asked the seller and they said yes. And I was like, okay, that is how this is done. I guess the book was right. So, uh, you know, I kind of got into it. I guess you could say it was intentional, but uh, it was kind of by accident too, because in the real world or as the real world, as we know it, nobody says yes to that. Yeah, but that's what's so interesting is that it was a bunch of BS before is like just this idea out in the world. Somebody wrote this book. But once it actually happened for you, you were able to prove that belief in your mind that it was possible. And obviously you were able to kind of build a phenomenal career uh, after that. What at what point did you start focusing on commercial real estate? That was about uh, about 
12 years after I first got into real estate. So I, I had been flipping houses and uh, I'd even built a few homes and uh, but house flipping was really my, my main business. You know, I didn't have the money to be a big time investor. So I'm like, you know, I could get scraped together just enough cash to buy one property and then fix it up and resell it and then do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And uh, after about a decade of that, and uh, the, you know, the business just started to grow and then, you know, I was building homes. And then after a couple of years of that, I, I had a couple of rental houses and I thought, you know what, if I could sell these two rental houses and do a 1031 exchange and buy an apartment building, that would be like the most incredible thing ever. I mean, who would ever have imagined that this poor kid could come in and buy an apartment building? And I actually managed to pull it off. And again, taking another page out of the old playbook, I told the seller, I said, you know, I've got enough money in this 1031 for half the down payment. Would you carry the other half? And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It's the power of the question. If you just ask, who knows? People might say yes. You never know. The answer is no if you don't ask. So that was how I got into multifamily. And that was 20 years ago. And I've been doing it ever since. That's amazing. And so now it sounds like you focus majority of your time on the syndication front. Tell us a little bit more. Give us a little bit of color about what your focus is today. Yeah, you know, when I first was uh, in this business, I didn't have money of my own. The only way that I could do anything in real estate is if I had other investors uh, you know, helping me along the way to put m the money in that we needed. So a uh, long, long, long time ago, about 20 years ago, I raised my first fund. It was a little small $500,000 fund. It was funded by coworkers that I used to flip houses. And then as I grew and grew and then got into multifamily, I'm like, hey, I need to do the same thing with multifamily as I did with single family. If I want to grow this, I need to get investors and so I went out and found a few people to invest with me and, uh, and kind of the rest is history. Now I've got over a thousand investors, over a hundred million dollars that we've raised from high net worth individuals and family offices that have grown this to a half a billion dollar business. So you've been able to effectively help folks really become hands-off investors, just like you talk about in the book. So, you know, let's dive deep into the tactic here, right? So, you know, on the investor mindset, we always are thinking about like, how do the most successful people, how do their thoughts and beliefs end up impacting the actions they take? But from a tactical perspective, you know, how can somebody start to set themselves up for success to become a hands-off investor? Well, the first thing you should do is read the book, The Hands-Off Investor, because, it, you know, it may seem simple. You know, there's out there in the world, there's this uh, this concept of OPM. Every real estate seminar that you go to preaches OPM, which means other people's money. It means you you have a real estate idea that you want to do. Go get other people's money and you can buy all the real estate you want. And the, the problem was, is that there was no resource for the quote unquote other people, you know? So what if you're one of those people that is bringing the money to the deal? How do you know if the investment that you're contemplating is not only uh, uh, suitable for you, but, uh, but is likely to succeed and that the person that's bringing you the opportunity is gonna be the one most likely to succeed in carrying it out. So there was really no resource for people to turn to to learn that. So that's one of the reasons why I wrote The Hands-Off Investor. So the first thing you have to do if you're thinking about being one of the other people uh, and bringing money to someone else's real estate deal, first step is get educated and make sure you know what you're doing. And so obviously go check out Bigger Pockets, the hands-off investor you can find it on Amazon, you can find it on BP, biggerpockets.com. 
once someone's dove into that book, obviously they're going to learn a lot here um, from it. But talk to me about what are some of the pieces of the puzzle that people are going to need to learn in order to you know, be effective. Yeah, there, there's a there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And the first the first piece, most importantly, is to learn about how to analyze uh, real estate sponsors. So when you're when you're the uh, person bringing the money, there's also somebody that's bringing the deal and doing all the work. Right. And there's a there's a new element of risk that's added to the equation when you invest passively. And that's the person that you're investing with. If you're buying the real estate yourself, you know that there's risk in the real estate, you know, there's risk in the economy, but if you're investing with someone else, you've added a new failure point into the equation. And so one of the first steps is to learn how do you, uh, how do you look at a real estate sponsor and figure out, if, uh, if they're uh, most likely to be successful in carrying out this business plan. It's a very, very important component. Making the wrong decision could, could cost you ev- everything that you've invested. Okay, so we wanna dive in, we wanna do our due diligence on who is actually operating that, what the team looks like. Uh, what else goes into that due diligence process? A lot is we, first you want to see, uh, you know, what kind of a track record do they have? Yeah, how many how many times have they done this before? What kind of a what does their team look like? Do they have experience? And you know, they have do they have experience not only in the uh, in the market that you're looking to invest in? Do they have experience in the product type? So if all they've done is apartments and this deal is a hotel. Uh, that could be an additional point of risk. If all they've done is uh, value add, and this is a development project that adds another additional uh, layer of risk. So knowing a little bit about their experience is helpful. Uh, their their track record, their full cycle experience. In other words, have they actually gone all the way through an acquisition, operation, and disposition of a property, or have they only bought stuff and never sold anything? Uh, have they survived through a market cycle and seen an adverse market cycle? And did they survive? And how did they uh, how did they get from one side to the other? Uh, all those things are critically important, uh, but also their their experience and the uh, the team and the uh, uh, the track record. Those are those are the the main things that you really got to focus on. Okay, so we dive in, we do our due diligence, we're starting to understand, you know, what their track record looks like, what market they're investing in the asset type, all of these things are starting to feel comfortable in that sponsor. We feel like as a team, they're the right folks to manage this business plan. What next? Yeah, the next is to uh, look at the offering that they're presenting to you. And and so, uh, you know, there's a number of different fronts you're looking at here. The first is, is the investment suitable for you? If you're a retiree and you're living off the cash flow of your investments and they're presenting to you a development deal, it's probably not suitable because a development deal isn't going to throw off any cash flow. Uh, if, uh, if you're a young uh, tech uh, entrepreneur who's got a lot of extra disposable income but no time to invest in real estate and a high tolerance for risk and all you're looking for is capital growth, and the investment being presented to you as a uh, stable class A multifamily asset with no upside potential, that investment might not be suitable for you. If you know that you're going to need this money in two years to go you know, buy a home uh, and you're looking at a 10-year uh, investment play, that's probably not suitable for you. So the first thing you got to look at is does the investment meet your objectives and your needs 
as to uh, when you're going to need to get your capital back, but also what kind of distributions are you going to need in the interim. So that's the first step is to, is to really understand whether it's suitable. The second is to understand whether you think that the sponsor's uh, business plan makes sense. Uh, and, you know, if you're uh, looking like right now we're in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, and if you have somebody that's proposing to build uh, a 400-room hotel in a small city, you might be thinking, well, no one's traveling right now. You know, is that really a good idea to be doing that? So you want to you have a sense of whether or not you think that the business plan makes sense for the time we're in. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.